Conversations from the Retreat From the Center for Sustainable Stewardship Brought to you in part by Big East Fork Retreat at BigEastFork.com All right, here we are again at uh, Conversations at the Retreat. However, today we're not actually at the retreat. We are at the uh, Franklin downtown office, and we're set up here for the last couple weeks. We've uh, interviewed a few folks related to the uh, Franklin Art Crawl that um, the Center, the Big East Fork Retreat and the Center for Sustainable Stewardship has uh, uh, kind of uh, coordinated uh, different artists to uh, participate each month. And uh, we actually have... A gentleman here we're going to talk to. His name's uh, Dennis or Denny. What is it, Dennis or Denny? Denny. Mm-hmm. Denny Kirtley. And um, my first my first experience was uh, a musical one with with you, and uh, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, you had showed up to our Sunday uh, gathering with a flugelhorn, and it wasn't but about two seconds after you blew on it that I. I just knew from the sound and everything that it was going to be a special, special day and, and that you definitely, uh, and, and I mean, you just zeroed in right with our kind of ambient space stuff with, a, with a brass horn. And that's not necessarily the easiest thing in my mind to pull off, but boy, you sure did. And then come to find out, I was told that you were one of the artists that was invited for the, for the art crawl. Yes. So, yes. So we got you here to talk a little bit about both those things, since it's kind of maybe a split personality for you, a visual side and the audio side. I don't know, but um, but anyway, welcome. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. It's good to have you here, and we we've got uh, Masood here as well, so uh, you may hear him interject in. Um, you know, I uh, honestly I haven't even seen any of your art. I know that it's maybe partially photographic, or uh, but. It, Explain to us, uh, you know, what we can expect to see, your technique and, and medium. Well, I'm, I'm worked as a fo- photojournalist in Africa and uh, photographed people, also photographed a lot of architecture. Okay. And, um, but I also have, I've always had my, my own art photography that I did separately. And um, when I got to Nashville, um, I zeroed in on my music because it's sort of like if you want to be a musician in Nashville, you got to hit the ground running and you got to be out there every night. And I just sort of let the photography drop for a while because I've been doing it for so many years. Right. And I was thinking about, well, why, 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 Denny, did you do this? Why did you just stop photography for a while? Because I stopped for maybe a year and a half or so. Uh-huh. You know, I think what it was was for a while I started feeling like a pack mule. <laughs> you know, wow. I was lugging. I had a camera on my side All 10, 12 hours a day mm-hmm. and tripods and lights right. and stands. And 
And, and I, I just got to feel like I was a horse that did photography. And, uh, okay. and I get pretty strong from doing that, of right. course. But um, um, I just kind of let it lay back for a while. And I just stopped doing professional photography for a while. So, so was the music, I mean, has the music been professional for you as well? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it yeah. sure seems, I mean, yeah. my little bit of, you know, you're seriously out there playing with, with the big yeah. boys on what you're doing. So, which yeah, we, we can talk about that later. But, um, so, um, so, so you came back to the photography, you know, well, I know from my own experience, sometimes when I, uh, lay off of something for a year or two years or three years or whatever, when I come back to it, uh, sometimes I have a little different perspective about it to where the time off actually, uh, you know, is a positive one, or at least that's the way I look at it. <laughs> but is that, yeah, it was, some? it was, well, what happened was, um, uh, I had, I lived in Morocco from 2004 to 2011, mm-hmm. and um, getting equipment there was insane. If I wanted a filter or something or a flash or whatever, I would have to figure out. They didn't really have Amazon there, <laughs> right? And so I'd have to no figure out delivery. who who do I know that's coming over from America or England or France. And wow. figure out how to get money to them, which wasn't any Western Union was usually the way you get money to them, but it was it was it was not instant. And uh, I would sometimes wait, you know, months for a piece of gear. Wow! And so by the time I got back, my gear was that I'd been shooting magazine covers with, right. <laughs> with a six megapixel camera, and and you know, unheard of today. And I was shooting magazine covers and. Uh, um, uh, I, I got back and everybody had the new fancy cameras and so I finally updated my equipment. That's when I started shooting again. Right. So you say you were doing magazine covers and stuff. Were you? I mean, was it just so happened that Morocco is where you chose to live, or was the work that you were doing related to Morocco as well? Both. Both. Um, I went to Morocco originally in 2003 as part of a very interestingly uh, a group called the Peace Project, which was. Uh, affiliated with the UN and okay. uh, um, they sent us to Morocco on a, like a peace mission of music Wow! and they planted peace poles and I got such a warm reception from the Moroccan people I decided I wanted to live there and I figured out how to get a job over there and uh, which was not it was not a permanent job actually uh-huh. it was just a project like shooting a book right and uh, it was architecture in Fez Fez, Morocco, which is a very, very ancient city. It's on the uh, World Heritage. A great experience. Uh, cities of the world. Um, the the uh, largest existing medieval Arabic city in, in, in the world. Wow. With 50,000 buildings. Amazing. And um, um, rapidly deteriorating, as, yeah. as it turns out, because right. the, the water table changed and they didn't really put foundations down then. And so very, very beautiful place. And... and I just got the sense when I when I went there that that I was photographing something that was might not be there might not be there like an old Buddhist temple or something that wow. could be destroyed. Yeah, and so I had the sense of urgency to photograph something ancient. I just kind of got goose pimples just yeah. telling me that. that was- <laughs> and and, um, and plus it was the people there, um, the people there primarily. Uh, they they say it's a Muslim country, but really it's it's a Berber country. Right and. Everybody's Muslim over there, so that's kind of a given. Uh, but it's, the culture is Berber, uh-huh. and the Berbers are so friendly. Yeah, you can go to a village in the mountains, 
and they don't even know you. They, I mean, I spoke French, but they didn't even speak French. They just spoke Berber uh-huh. and, and this 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 uh, Moroccan language called Darija, which was a mix of Berber and French and okay. Arabic and and whatnot. Wow. And uh, so, the, with not knowing me or anything, they would just invite me to their houses. They would cook a meal for me. They would house me if I wanted. Yeah. Without without just just simple people. Yeah. And I just I just so missed that, you know. Yeah. I mean, and I, and um, I've noticed that traveling uh, in it, other places for sure. The simplicity factor is yes uh, way more prevalent and apparent in some of these countries than than what we experience here for sure. It, it really is. And uh, I mean, <clears throat> also just like saying maybe a hundred years ago here or something, you know, so some of these places are, are more like that. Or, well, I, mean, I, come, I wasn't here a hundred years ago, but I come from I mean. country people and, and, uh-huh. you know, um, my, my, my grandparents were country people and, um, um, you know, they came over the Cumberland gap, you know, from Virginia, right. you know, back in the way, way back in history. You know, mine were in East Tennessee. So yeah. I, I definitely, <laughs> I know. And there, and there was some, there was some, there's enough left of um, my my I knew my both of my two of my great grandmothers and one was born in 1867 mm. and the other one was born in 1882, yep. and I knew them as a little boy. Right. And I would say, Grandma, tell me tell me about the old days. So when I got to Morocco, it was like it was the old days. Yeah. And it's like I was in heaven. I'm I telling just, you, that's exactly when I I go to Finland and play music and. And I was just telling somebody, it, it, it reminds me of my great-grandparents' generation. That's just exactly the way I digested it, you know. And I yeah. knew my great-grandparents as well. I knew my great-great-grandmother, actually. Um, but <clears throat> being first born in a family, and the people live long and they get married early, that's the way that happens, I guess. But mm-hmm. I kind of broke that chain. So um, have you... Is is there any other shows that you've done here in the region since you've kind of come I've, back? First one I've done, I, I started shooting again, I guess, about a year ago. Okay. And I started doing something completely different with my photography. So what is the theme or the kind of the approach then? Well, it's sort of like, I don't know, subliminal, I guess. Um, um, I started shooting um, a regular photograph, and then I would shoot a blur of the photograph. Hmm. And start painting with the blurs, and I found some really interesting things that happened. I, when I was in Morocco, by, by the way, what what I started doing, I started teaching photography uh-huh. at an art school. Okay, and I also taught Photoshop, so I'm like a Photoshop nerd. Uh huh. And and I can. I know I'm, I'm there too. I was at Photoshop 1.0, so mm-hmm. I've been <laughs> I've so, been in the ride with that. Yeah, I use it every day. Yeah, so. So um, uh, I started just doing creative things with with, with you, you you know post processing of, of images, right? And the things that that happen when you do that, it's it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I want to show is is to show uh, what's beneath the surface. I love that because there's you know uh, I mean there's a lot of photographers that that won't kind of go into that territory. Or you know, as far as some of the manipula- the manipulation and what you're able to do digitally and with all the layers and stuff, but um, I you know I I have always uh, looked at it as an art form. As far as you know, I've looked at the computer as an art tool, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I've treated 
In fact, uh, see, it was maybe in 1991, I curated an exhibit at Cheekwood here in town. It was the first uh, digital art exhibit that was displayed in the gallery like a regular museum exhibit, but it was using digital printed art. So, you know, the whole point was to try to say, look, this is not, you know, it's not just push a button and it's magic. You know, there's there's creativity, thought, and effort and stuff that goes behind all this stuff. You know, it's not like what you might imagine. And, uh, you know, at that time there was even arch you know, arch paper and, um, you know, dye sublimation with, um, uh, uh, you know, what do you call, uh, help me out on the ink, you know, it lasts for a hundred years, archival, archival inks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, we had access to that. I mean, albeit it was just in California, it was, uh, Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills and Nash. He had a printing company and he had the equipment and he was one of the few people in the United States back then. So we sent everything out there. So that argument, we took care of because a lot of people, well, that's what they'd say. Well, it's not a piece of fine art because it's going to, you know, it's going to dissolve or it's going to fade or whatever in a year. And it's like, well, you know, we took care of that by treating it just like anything else. I mean, uh, archival with that. So anyway, um, I love that aspect uh, because I, I, I think it's uh, like in music, um, I kind of use reverb and some effects like it's an instrument. And it's kind of the mm-hmm. same way with the, the digital process and the technology. It becomes another tool and another approach to, to create the, you know, the image and, and the art. So, Well, um, and you know, if, with, with uh, in photography, what's become possible, I mean, I'm an old-time film shooter. Um, at one time, uh, just a little bit of my background, um, I owned two multimedia production companies. Okay. One which got eaten by another one, and then I became an owner of a bigger multimedia company. But one, at one time I had 14 employees, and I was doing meeting presentations for a big you know, Fortune 500 corporations, uh-huh. General Electric and Brown and Williamson Tobacco. Yeah, as wow. we, this was in Louisville, and as we say, the, all, all the sin industries, <laughs> tobacco <laughs> and <right>. alcohol. <laughs> and and uh, so, so Kentucky's uh, full of it. <laughs> and and you know, it was when they said deadline, it really meant deadline. And right. and there were some cutthroat deadlines out there. And uh, um, you know, that they, they would throw projects at me. I mean, it it, it wasn't photography anymore. It right. was it was it was do or die. Yeah. Do it or are you you know, or they'll give the business to somebody else and which and so right. we 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 lived and died by that. Yeah. And I mean we're using like uh some of the like the interactive uh like director or Yeah, no, well of, no, what? this was we use slide projectors. We oh, actually this was before. used computerized yeah, yeah. banks of slide projectors. Yeah. Okay. And uh, just to show a little a little show, we might have like a truckload of equipment because right. there'd be these, these. I mean, I remember when it was that stuff before. The, it was it was amazing. And, yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah, and, it is. And, and uh, a lot of glitz to it. I worked on a show for the Kentucky Derby Museum. It was '96 projector uh, panoramic wow. show. I worked for several months on that show. Yeah, day amazing. and night, and there there were like 70 people working on that show. Yeah, Jeez. and uh, it was like a Hollywood production. And uh, so I got my fill of that and. Um, I guess uh, what happened was was uh, I tried it. I sold my company, went traveling. I went to Africa. I always wanted to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. My cousin Michael Kirtley was a was a, a photojournalist for National Geographic. Okay, and um, he um, 
he always wanted me, he was like the Africa guy back in the 80s and 70s. And he always wanted me to go to Africa. I was like, no, I'm too busy. And then finally he's go, he goes, well, you sold your company. You, got, you can travel now, and I'm, I'm going to set you up. So he set me up with, I photographed a voodoo festival in Benin. Wow. And it was, it was, it was quite, quite, but he, sa he said, before you get there, he, he goes, I want you to go to several other countries so you won't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> because it's so different over there, you, just, you can't know how different it is unless you just had the experience. So he sent me to the country of Senegal, and uh, I, I went to the airport, got to the airport in Senegal, and um, I was met by a family, like 30 people had come to the airport, and they were all in robes and hats, and they took me. I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this palace. <laughs> they, they took me to this, this little village by the ocean called Dakar Yof, and, uh, and I'm going down the road and, um, in, in, in a taxi, and um, there's, there's like a little three-year-old boy, and he's, he's got a little, he's, his father has made him a little, little cart that's hitched to the back of the goat, and there's a little two-year-old guy on the back of it, and he's like whipping the goat, and, and it's a sand road, and, and wow. it's just like, it's like, wow, I've really yeah. arrived at a different, different place in time, yeah. and um, got, got there, and um, um, it was like I'd gone back 100 years in time, yeah. and I said, this is, this is it. I want to. I want to travel in Africa, and, and I'd always wanted to. But once I got there, it was like I just loved Africa. So then you went from Africa to Morocco. Well, not exactly. Um, I did. Um, I came back and and I did. Uh, I did freelance work for a while. I actually became a, a web developer, and you know, as we we sort of morphed out of the different businesses that were, right. were you know, when PowerPoint presentations came in. The, the, the multimedia slide business just went through right. just yep. overnight. Yep. And uh, so I didn't want to be a PowerPoint presentation person, so I, I, I worked as a, as a web developer for a while. I so worked. were you here like when Digital Image was here in town? Do you remember I, I was that? In, I wasn't in, in Nashville at all. Oh, you weren't in no. Nashville? No. Oh, okay. So you're just a recent Nashville. But like five years. Okay. Five years ago I came here. All right. And uh, so... so um, um, but I, I always had that love of, of 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 just traveling and you know and going around the world. For so have you traveled with your music? Well, I, that's how I got to Morocco. I was I was um, I I played a festival in Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. and I met these guys. And a year later, this is this this peace project. They called me up and they said, "You want to go to Morocco with us? We, you know, we, all expenses paid. Three weeks in Morocco." Sure. Okay, I'll I'll arrange my, my my life so I can go to Morocco, and I got there, and uh, the first night we played in the, in the, the big square in Marrakesh. It's called Jama Fana. It's the largest open air market mm. in the world, I think, something like that. Wow. And uh, thirty thousand people saw us play that night. Good grief! And it was just, and then they threw a party out in the desert for us, and it's like and it, it was with, with, with lasers, and it, it was just, it was insane. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so I said, okay, I want to I want to live here, and I had yeah. to figure out how to get there. So so um, um, I got a job with a company that makes. Uh, that does the the ancient arch architecture. They they actually build and restore old buildings, and 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 they wanted they wanted like a showcase book for their clients. Uh -huh. And um, so I got through with that, and I didn't want to go home. I'd been there for three months. I didn't want to go home, and so 
I had, and there wasn't any more photography work. This was in Fez, Morocco, and it was pretty backwards at the time. So there was no more photography work there. So I had my trumpet, and I went 500 miles to the other end of the country, to Marrakesh. Uh-huh. And I immediately got a job with the top, at the, at the, at the, 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 the most glitzy nightclub in Marrakesh called the Jad Mahal, which is modeled after the Taj Mahal with waiting pool, with reflecting pools in the middle of the restaurant. Wow. And, and belly dancers. <laughs> and it was, it was pretty, pretty swanky. And, uh, and I, I was with French and Spanish musicians, and, and we just did like pop. Uh-huh. And uh, but it was very very well done, and right. we did a show every night, and um, uh, six nights a week, and um, did so, that. So where where did your um, like when did you start playing music, and and how kind of how did you work work up to the the mastery of how you sound when you play now? I mean, I um, I started music and photography at the same time, eleven years old, and. Um, um, and I started, I started in the school band and I started photography. I just was interested in it. We have, we have a lot of really similar par- parallels really? for sure. Really? Cause I mean, I started painting and playing music at the same time. Those two things have been together wow. and, uh, it's just, it's interesting. The technology stuff, the multimedia stuff. I mean, just, there's some, I mean, just like Masood and I, we have all these common kind of, uh, things in our background, even though, even though we, we've lived such different lives. There's still yes. that commonality, which is, you know, that's part of the beauty of CSS out there. I mean, kind of trying to concentrate on the common denominators of people. Exactly. As you guys are talking, I'm just reflecting on the transcending properties of creative expression, whether it's music or arts or, or any form of it. And, and it seems like it's a continuing dialogue um, for all of us which, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Tony, brings us to the uh, CSS um, and, and one of the, one of the um, reasons why we are, we are having this dialogue is the sustainable um, um, property of uh, creative expression and how um, creativity... Um, and how creativity brings this common denominator that uh, transcends uh, cultural, um, political, or uh, um, religious, or other uh, uh, other um, uh, things that we wrap ourselves around, and uh, and by doing that, um, we uh, put our humanity to the um, to the background. Um, so uh, having Having heard um, um, the fact that we can go anywhere in this world and uh, through music or through arts uh, connect with other people that don't even speak our language or have no idea about our upbringing. And, and the fact that we can have this dialogue and this dialogue uh, potentially can reach... Um, um, millions of people around the world, um, and and how then um, putting these factors together uh, brings us to a uh, a purpose for this dialogue, uh, other than sharing the beauty of humanity and other than sharing the beauty of nature, um, then um, then there there is a another purpose 
ultimately there. Uh, and that purpose is something that goes beyond this particular lifetime or this particular incarnation that we get so preoccupied with thinking that this is all that there is and and forgetting about what seeds we are uh, we are putting uh, in the in the fertile land and what uh, qualities we are cultivating not just in ourselves but in each other and how those seeds are in fact in in other human beings not in us and and then this cultivation of other human beings will become a task a a, a real reason why we are here in this whole global thing together and and how then uh having this opportunity called uh this incarnation this lifetime which is which is the only finite thing that uh, we can grasp on, knowing that it's a finite thing, this particular way of expression is only around for this one time around. The other times, before and after, we'll have other capabilities, other... So, so then brings us to, um, to this opportunity and why is it that I'm hearing... Um, you guys and uh, connecting with each other through arts and through music as well as what can be done with our situation on planet Earth at this particular juncture and how this can be a useful um, tool to um, alleviate suffering, give potential and give access to um, all those things that uh, perhaps are now uh, are not accessible to us. We can't feed the planet right now. We can't take care of the shelter and basic safety of all those human beings that are around us, no matter where they might be. Um, and and then uh, once we can do that, then what do we have? Obviously, there is something else into it. Once you have taken care of the lowest of our needs, Maslow taught us a long time ago that we have a collective mission, perhaps, once our basic needs have been taken care of. And I'm thinking that the universe is waiting patiently for us to get our stories together uh, and, and proceed with what we're supposed to do with this manifestation, uh, creation manifestation thing. Um, given that, then, um, I'm going to put this question to both of you guys, um, because obviously this journey is our destination. And, and having seen and having heard, um, then it's, it's all of our task as to how this looks like, how we're going to proceed with. Um, I'm encouraged because... Um, Tony, you have uh, proven that you can put together a uh, structure that can bring about creative people in order to do some purpose for a purpose, and uh, and uh, uh, you, brother, um, um, yes, you have been all over the world, having um, having 
grown up in the background of uh, of right here in Tennessee, and Tennessee, I believe, is our uh, not just Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, in particular where we are sitting right now, um, in Franklin, Battleground, Franklin, Tennessee, and Battleground to me is a um, is both a metaphorical as well as um, actual place. Uh, metaphorical at this point because it's a battle between conscience, a battle between evolution. At what point have you reached that critical mass in our human evolution in order to proceed with the next thing? So, yes, um, the question is for you guys now. Well, I think it's we're, we're at a really interesting point in history because not only with, with photographs, but with moving images, video, with, with the written word, with music, everything is digital now. And basically it exists on a disc, uh, like, a, like a fixed disc, like a, like a CD or a, or a DVD, or it exists on a hard, most of it exists on hard disks. Yeah. And I was just transferring a, a whole bunch of gigabytes of photos last night to a hard drive and realized, well, what if a tornado came and just took all this stuff away, just sucked it all away. Well, uh, uh, years of my life would be yeah. wiped, wiped out. I'm not, hist- I'm not so sold on the, I'm not so sold on the digital archive stuff. <laughs> I'm not you know, either. I, 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 in my mind think that, you know, two, 300 years from now, if man's man's still around, this might end up being a dark ages, hmm. you know, from like, uh, maybe the, uh, <clears throat> the eighties, when, when stuff started becoming digital, because, you know, fact of the matter is you can, you can get an Edison, uh, you know, vinyl disc and you can still play it. You know, it's simple technology. It's a, it's a needle that rides in a groove that vibrates and you can hear it. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like a, uh, a CD-ROM player where you've got to have the entire computer and, and all this other, you know, technological stuff to be able to to read the data that's in binary code that has to then be, be translated. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole different process than just having a printout of your photo that, that can last for, you know, if taken care of or put under glass can last for a fixed amount of time that we know, we don't know about digital data and, uh, and CDs have already, I've already seen the, the, you know, CDs uh, get a little bit of air in them and they're shot, you know, they don't work anymore. Um, so, uh, I was telling Masood, uh, one of the performances we just did at the festival, I think we we're going to press vinyl on it. And one of the reasons for pressing vinyl, I think, is archival. You know, it's like yes. that vinyl might end up being around way longer than the CDs or the hard disk to where you could actually do something with it. And, and you know, chiseled in stone. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of examples of stuff that has longevity. I really don't quite know about digital yet. I've had to myself transfer my stuff. I don't know how many times in the last 30 years, you know, what happens if you don't keep transferring and keeping up with it? The disc goes away. I mean, and I've got stuff I've got, I've got, you know, I've got drawers full of archive backups that I don't have the hardware to pull the stuff off anymore. Well, that's an example right there of, of how this entire 50 years could be, you know, I mean, there's guys, there's guys trying to figure out how do you keep a hard drive lasting, you know, because oxygen, just the air deteriorates it, you know, I mean, it's a, I think the most, the most interesting thing, Tony is, is, um, 
that what the digital various digital platforms have allowed us to do is is we 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 we've achieved a level of creativity now i mean i can go out it used to be the old old uh, joke um you know that if, if you if you went out to do a shoot you'd do 10 rolls of film a national geographic photographer would shoot 100 rolls of film right and and uh and now we have the power to shoot 100 right. rolls of film for free. Yeah. We didn't have the budget back when it was filmed. Oh, there's there's lots of positives and, for and, sure. And that is the positive. And yeah. I think that 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 somehow that the, the essence of what we're doing and and what what's possible now. I mean, we we see a movie for instance that was produced in the 90s like a blockbuster movie and you go, "Man, that doesn't look so good." Well, you know, yeah, every compared, decade, com- kind of. Compared to, you know, and the, yeah. the acting wasn't so, right. really so hot. How'd that guy get an Academy Award? And, 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 but the level of performance, the level of production has gone way. I mean, we're, we're, at, we're, at, we're at a razor's edge of, right. of, of, of creativity right now. And I love that. That's the, yeah. what I love the most. And oh, I think, yeah. I'm not sure if we can even wonder about, you know, is it going to be around... In some form, yeah, it will be. Some something will be preserved. There's so much out there. Something will be preserved somehow. Yeah, and and I mean the point is to be in the moment with it all, and yes. it, and it is just absolutely amazing. And you know, even like uh, <clears throat> the fact that you've got so many books and libraries that are deteriorating at such a rate that they can't even keep up with archiving. You know, books that are going to be gone forever, a one of a kind book, you know. And so, so there's those kinds of things that, I mean, you know, it's the only way to save a lot of that stuff. You know, I, I think about over the years how many libraries were destroyed, you know, and how much knowledge was destroyed. So, you know, if you look at that, the, the digital technology definitely is, uh, you know, I mean, it's a huge coup for all that stuff. We'll just have to see how it's how it handles time that's the only thing i don't know about but you know it's just a yeah but i, I love it I no mean, i do too I, and I i've lo- been in it my whole life <laughs> it I, is. I love i love the digital i love especially uh digital photography because 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 <laughs> we're it, sitting there with digital yeah, right now <laughs> exactly um because because it allows i mean coming from a film background i treat it like film uh-huh you know, I work with the layers of red, green, and blue, and 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 so forth. And I've I've always worked with layers, of in multiple. That's been my life's work is work, working with multiple layers of photography. Because when I when I used to do the multimedia stuff, we were always working with with multiple exposure right. things on on the film, doing impossible things. And and you know, and that's you know that's uh, a unique quality of people our age because. We've had we were before computers and we were after computers, so so we know the processes, you know, before the digital took over, and it and it actually I think it gives us a different perspective than the people that never experienced that, yeah. or the people that never experienced computers. I mean, there's there's it's a unique we're we're like in a small window, of of people that understand both sides, and uh, that's always been an, an advantage for me, but. Um, you know, um, me of it. you know, Ansel Adams was considered to be the greatest photographer, of the greatest, at least landscape photographer that ever lived. Right. He developed a system called the Zone System, for for exposing, making sure that all the blacks and all the whites and that, that was correctly represented. Well, 
a child, and it took years to do that, okay, mm-hmm. to, to learn how to do his process. And I learned how to do his process uh-huh. to produce a perfect black and white print. Well, the fact is, you can take a point-and-shoot digital camera and get that result now. Right. The formula's in there. It's it's already built in. The algorithm's yeah. built in there. Yeah. You know, and... It's 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 so so it's artistically what you can achieve. Right. It has nothing to do with digital. It has to do with the, the software's between the ears. You know. Yeah. And, well, and, yeah. And and so if you haven't got the concept of what you're shooting, you're not going to get a good photograph. No. But but technically, all this stuff is there. So it, it now is 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 incumbent upon you to figure out what your vision is. Right. It's a little bit more philosophically uh, looked at than that. Any, any experience that we have with each other, anytime, anytime we experience a, uh, a life um, situation, then, then that's archived forever. We can't take it back. Mm-hmm. Especially if we get to do this experience in a sharing environment. Um, it's archived forever. How, how do you how do you mean that? Imprinted on your, you know, you're you're talking about when you experience something with somebody else and share something or collaborate. That experience is that what you're talking? About? We're looking at life from point A to point B and how we can share certain things with each other and how, once we share those things with each other, then the value exists in their sharing. If it's a photograph, if it's a piece of music, <clears throat> whatever it is. Exactly. So, so meant to be shared. Meant to be shared. Exactly. Yes. Our lives are, in fact, um, concept never ever uh, without that that uh, concept. In other words, what I'm saying is is that every time we experience a moment together or by ourselves individually, because of having lived this thing called life, that experience is forever. It never is going to lose its quality just because we can't share it if with, uh, if, uh, in a format, whether it's a photograph or a digital or whatnot. More than that, um, I'm, I'm thinking about um, once we experience something together, you can take it back, you can unwind it and say, oh, it didn't happen. It happens because why? Because we have somehow have a, have a memory of it. Now, someone would say when we die, uh, then what happens? And I'm saying that if we only consider ourselves to be just a body, and that when the body goes, everything goes with it, then yes, that's, that concept would be, would be true. But obviously there is more into us than just a body, so that every experience, every thought, original thought that happens while we are in this body is in fact part of our other nature, which is forever nature. You call it spiritual or whatnot. Um, and, and, then, and then knowing that everything I think about is forever and belongs, I mean, my thought, your thought, how I influence you, how you influence me, how I'm being inspired by everything that I see, especially if it's somehow has that quality of creativity been added to it by someone who really cared to express themselves from their heart, wanting to share their life experience. Now, 
that's going to influence me. That's going to affect me. Now, now what has happened? Something new has transpired, and that something new has been added to the component of my life. Now, now, now we're talking about us affecting each other while we are alive. And one of the reasons I feel like we are alive is to see how, uh, uh, what's how deeply and how widely we can do this connection and we can do this inspiration and being inspired by the beauty that we all can share with each other. Um, we are here in this life together and this life is forever so long as we know we are we are not just a body we are more than a body and that spirit knowing that then allows us to do some experiments what are those experiments <laughs> those experiments is if i sit here and somehow come up with ways to inspire other folks that inspiration will last forever just like if I come here and sit down and somehow um, uh, take away their inspiration and make somebody feel like they are nothing, nobody, and they have no effect on nothing. Uh, and, and the future of humanity is not affected by their thought. Now, that thought doesn't make sense to me because then it would be meaningless to be here alive. Now, we are having this dialogue because we know that if you're inspired by thoughts, by images, by music, by creative nature of each other, then that inspiration will last forever because then we are somehow changed because of it. Somehow we are, uh, we, uh, we have a reason for existence, our life will be more meaningful and purposeful. Now, it, those it, are it adds to our story. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so. You know, I was, um, I was talking about inspiration. Um, the sound you heard, you talked about the first note that you heard from me. That note came from my trumpet professor in music school. <laughs> His name was Leon Rapier, and he was the principal trumpet in the Louisville Orchestra, was offered the, the, principal chair in the Boston Symphony and refused it because he loved Louisville and loved his family being there, mm -hmm. but he was an amazing teacher. And he used to tell me, he said, when the when, he said, when you put that first note that comes out, of, imagine that it's, it's, it's a thread of gold that comes out of your horn and it goes all the way to the wall and it spreads out and it makes the wall into gold. And that's what he said. To that me. is awesome. And all, and I always remember that whenever I, I play to try so to. So it's pretty interesting that I, that I even picked up on that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Because I mean, I really and, and truthfully, that just I, I'm glad you told me that because many and the reason that I'm a jazz trumpeter is because I met a guy named Lou Colombo who was the principal trumpeter uh, for um, uh, Dizzy Gillespie in his orchestra, and he encouraged me to start playing again. And he actually used to coach me. When I lived in Hyannis, Massachusetts, and and um, um, I had stopped playing trumpet completely, and I stopped actually I stopped playing trumpet till I was till I was fifty, and I started playing trumpet again when I was fifty, oh, okay. and and uh, started playing Latino music. But but he was the one that really encouraged me to to start playing my trumpet again because I had been a, like a top trumpet player when I was young, uh -huh. and then I I went into business and had family and yeah. marriage and blah right. blah blah. 
and uh, so so got back into the art, but 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 it was the inspiration of 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 that, and 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 photography too. I, I've got in, inspired people that I've always followed. Pete Turner, who used to shoot the covers for West Montgomery uh-huh. and Weather Report, uh-huh. all those old covers. Yeah. Pete Turner, and I always wanted to say, yeah, Pete Turner. That's that's who I want to be like. And um, so, do you know Alan Messer here in town? No, I don't, I don't know anybody locally really. Well. We need to connect it up with Alan because uh, he's from England, but he moved here in 78. He started shooting in the late 60s. And, I mean, he shot, you know, Janis Joplin, Marley, Hendrix, the Beatles, the Stones. Literally everybody, anybody that you could possibly mention in history of music from that time period forward, he shot. Wow. And, I mean, he's probably, you know, I mean, he's one of the greatest, but he's been here in Nashville since 78. He was at the fest. He was he was out there shooting. Uh, actually, shot he shot some of us uh, spacecraft. But anyway, I need to connect you up with him. Maybe take you over there. I love there to meet him because uh, he's a he's a. Uh, I need to have him on here sometime because he's quite a. And that, a but that's history. just it. We we inspire we inspire people and yeah. and there, there's there's people that come up to me and they go I want to learn how to play the trumpet. <laughs> you know I, I want to sound like that. I want that sound, and. Uh, well, it, it's a, you know, it reminded me of ECM. I know, I mean, that's my, that's one of my favorite labels. It's mm-hmm. a, the, you know, German jazz label, but they're still around. They're still doing, I mean, it's probably the longest label. I don't, I can't think of another label that's been around mm-hmm. that long that, that's still doing the same thing. But um, I just, uh, I, was, I was just so impressed with uh, how you uh, just, so much fell right into that kind of ambient space type of of the moment type of thing we were doing. I mean, it just blended so well. So I definitely enjoyed Thank it. You. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. It was mine. Yeah. Well, I, I love playing with musicians like you. Well, likewise. So. Well, all right. I think we're probably uh, about at the end of our line for today. So uh, I want to thank uh, Denny Kirtley for, for coming up here to the— uh, Thank you, Denny. Franklin yeah. office and of course well, thank uh, you all too Masood and uh, we've got a we also have a guest over here that uh, we're probably going to end up uh, inviting inviting um, Miss Miss Wilding uh, from the URI will uh, call here here on one of these weeks but I'm Tony Gerber host here for the uh, Center for Sustainable Stewardship you're listening to Sustainability Radio uh, conversations from the retreat and we'll see you next time good day Thank you, Tony. You just heard Conversations from the Retreat from the Center for Sustainable Stewardship. CSSFamily.org